Before we begin, just to let you guys know, our logo artwork was designed by Nicole Anarchy and music by Taylor Paisley French. Warning, this podcast does contain spoilers for the Verse series. Hello everyone and welcome to the Best Damn Camp, a Rodham... Oh, I can't speak today. Already. A Rodham verse read-along and analysis podcast that sets out to read all the books by Rick Riordan in timeline order. I'm your host Fran and welcome to the show. And apologies for that already awkward introduction. Now, as you guys may know, I didn't release an episode last week. Um, mainly due to a need to step back for my mental health in terms of uh, social media and just kind of focusing on other things that make me a little bit happier just to cheer me up. Um, obviously doing my podcast and like talking to you guys, it really does, it does make me happy and I do really enjoy it but uh, I just needed a step back from this as well. So uh, I hope you all understand um, and as uh, a response to the fact that I didn't release an episode last week, I am releasing two this week instead. They'll either both be out today, this being Wednesday, um, or they'll be one after another. Um, I'll be doing. I'll have done a poll, so you guys will know how this turned out if you follow our social media, and if you don't follow our social media, best time camp pod. Um, so yeah, that, <laughs> you'll see because I don't know currently how it's going to work out. Um, and as well as the fact that I don't know if I'll have both recorded in time, but we, well, we will hope. <laughs> Today though, we are continuing our timeline journey with the next chapters of the Sea of Monsters. Chapter 17, we get a surprise on Miami Beach and chapter 18, the party ponies invade. Today we are looking at characters, story and generally what I thought of it and also due to the fact that we are actually finishing up Sea of Monsters this week slash next week if both episodes don't come out this week I will also like to put in a small little advertisement here that I have released a video on my channel A Healthy Dose of Fran looking specifically at the Sea of Monsters overall and from everything that you guys have been hearing from this collection of episodes to do with the sea of monsters what i think could have been improved to make this story a little bit more engaging and hopefully take it off the bottom list of the least liked of the percy jackson and the olympians so if you are interested that will be linked (coughs) that will be linked in the episode show notes uh but just to get back of course to the main thing As always, here is the synopsis. Clarice is given a mission that she will complete alone. Luke rears his head suddenly again. A plan is unveiled with a fight to the death interrupted by various horses. Then, when all is calming down, a demigod reality is given and we learn Chiron's parentage. I was right. I can't believe I'm saying this again. Everyone has daddy issues what the hell 
And that is a summary for chapter 17 and chapter 18 of The Sea of Monsters. And, oh my god, that final part kind of summarises the entire series, really. Everyone has daddy issues, everyone's sad, and it's all depressing. <laughs> um, but just to kind of move on from that and kind of getting, because I think this is one that hopefully will be interesting to talk about. I say that, I'm going to start off straight away not the biggest fan of these two chapters and I think that's an unfortunate theme that we have come across with Sea of Monsters. Now admittedly Sea of Monsters I have come to appreciate a lot more and you guys probably have heard that throughout my my episodes that I've been doing. I am coming to appreciate this book a lot more but there are definitely things that I do have problems with and admittedly what I will be bringing up is actually an issue that I do have with Percy Jackson as a whole and things that I feel it doesn't do that well. And so I will be kind of touching on that a little bit here as well. Um, but to mainly get into it and start with the elements, uh, we are of course starting with chapter 17, we get a surprise on Miami Beach. And as always, here is the overview. Arriving at Miami, it is determined that the tree will be nearly dead. Oh, gods. Clarice reveals her own prophecy and is in turn entrusted to take the fleece home. Noice. After she disappears, Nazi boy arrives and kidnaps the gang. Great. Aboard his boat, Luke becomes unhinged and Percy, the legend, uses this to his advantage. Using his distraction... Percy tricks Luke into revealing his plan and action. All the while, with Camp Half-Blood in an Irish message behind him. Exposition aside, the camp hears the truce, and Chiron is reinstated, and Tantalus is banished before he can even get his meal. That's what you get, you cannibal! All is working out, until Percy faces... A death match and why am I not surprised this boy cannot not be in a death situation what Percy oh I understand why Annabeth is always in a state of stress because this boy this boy is stressful to, <laughs> to read about all these situations he gets himself into I'm like oh my god what how 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 and why and I don't well both those answers are basically he's a knucklehead and he's also the son of Poseidon so I guess that kind of answers both those questions but yes that is the overview for chapter 17 and it's I don't even remember how long this chapter was hold on I think it was it was quite a short chapter actually or am I just imagining things uh one two three four five six seven eight nine ten yeah ten ten pages so it's not it's not short but it's not particularly long either and from that overview and just kind of what happens in it it just does feel exponentially short and it's possibly because of some of the exposition dump elements and the very quick resolving of certain situations but based on the fact that this is a uh, character and story discussion based thing i will start with character because admittedly characters in this are are pretty interesting actually so i will be starting first with percy Uh, okay now considering everything that i have been saying (laughs) in the last many episodes 
um, about Percy and his reaction to Clarice. Um, I am kind of impressed with his interaction in this chapter and his decision for Clarice to be able to finish the mission alone and to get her back to camp to complete the quest and take the fleece back and her being entrusted with it. Because I think it shows a little bit of random growth admittedly considering in the previous chapter we have him thinking that she's an idiot and stuff like that um so it's it feels a bit random but I'm kind of glad that it happens and we do have a bit of a self-reflective moment of him realizing well yeah it's no wonder she was kind of acting the way that she was because me and Annabeth hijacked her quest and treated her pretty terribly obviously he didn't think that part but they did so he is realizing that it makes sense as to why she was acting this way because she's had all this pressure put on her she's had this abusive reaction from her father she's had no confidence bestowed in her from the camp so she left knowing that no one believed in her and has had the two real heroes that everyone actually wanted to go turn up and make her look like a fool so to suddenly be entrusted, like you can tell that she has this moment of, oh, I wasn't expecting that at all. And I think that's, I think it's a lovely moment for Percy to kind of actually be be a good guy and realize, yeah, okay, we kind of screwed her over a little bit, which is true. Um, so I like that he does have the self reflection. And honestly, I w- I say this a lot, but I really do wish we had more moments between them in this book. And kind of in future books as well. Um, considering in the book that actually, well, the short story that comes in between the Sea of Monsters and the Titan's Curse is to do with their relationship, I'm really excited for that and I hope you guys will be interested in that as well. I'm disappointed that we don't have it in the main thing, but at least we have that. Um, so yeah, I, I'm pleased we do have this little bit of self reflection. Um, in general, though, with his relationship also with Luke. I think the chapter really showcased his improvement as a character and as a demigod and a hero. He he has an improved understanding of battle and strategy also. Like he's still not really good at fighting and we see that in the next chapter where he, he realizes that yeah no I'm really not good at fighting. Um but he's using Luke's sort of unhingedness and pride to his advantage. And also, I think it's a little, a little bit of his own intelligence and smartness, but also some influence by Annabeth and her intelligence and stra- strategic mind. But he can see what Luke was undergoing, and just just like I said, he used it to his advantage, letting us see this skill that he has, and kind of use it against Luke even technically using what Luke taught him about himself like he's using his knowledge of Luke and also detecting that there is something off about him and just taking that and using it by tricking him and baiting him um and I just think it's a really interesting moment and I don't know why but this popped into my head it kind of reminds me of the final fight between Zuko and Azula not the actual fight itself because that'll probably be the next chapter more so but that moment of when he basically kind of Zuko basically mocks Azula and baits her into using her lightning 
um obviously goes very differently in the avatar but i feel like that's kind of what he's what percy's doing here is that he's baiting luke into a situation that's gonna end badly for him and in this case it's the fact that everyone knows that he is a bad guy that he did this to talia's tree that he is the reason that chiron got kicked out of camp he is the reason that the campers have had to put up with this abusive terrible human being of tantalus so they are going to turn against him now because they know what he's done um and i think it just shows this strength that percy has gained in both his intelligence and just who he is as a character from the first book to this one and we definitely see that growth continue so i like seeing this little bit here um, but speaking of Luke though, the next character I do want to talk about is Luke himself because this is the first time we've seen him unhinged as readers and kind of falling apart. Uh, he, he's overreacting, he's really quick to anger and not really thinking things through, which is very surprising I will admit and you'll, you'll see why when we get to the, the next uh, couple of books. Um, this is kind of where my negative opinion of this chapter comes in um, and a little bit of this book as a whole in that Luke just feels very out of character in this moment considering what we do know of him in the next couple of books it just feels really weird that he is so off kilter and being baited and falling for it that, I don't know if it was it was kind of slightly awkward writing in that we do have a bit of an exposition dump of him literally saying what he poisoned Talia's tree with, repeating, saying, I've already told you this, and then saying again what he's already told Percy. It just feels really weird. Like, and Luke isn't a really smart guy. He's smart, he's charismatic, and he's a great leader. He knows how to use people to his, his advantage and knows usually knows when he's being taken advantage of obviously in some cases like i know that's gonna be a spoiler let's not <laughs> but he knows when he's going to be taken advantage of and also knows how to take advantage of so he's going to recognize that in someone else so for him to be baited and have sort of the advantage taken from him because he has been baited just feels really weird i don't know if it is just me it could just be me who just thinks it's a little bit strange but in this chapter it just felt a bit odd i'm going to get into that a little bit more in the next chapter because i feel it sticks out a little bit more in um chapter 18 but we noticed it a little bit here as well and it was kind of disappointing uh story-wise i think is another thing um in, in this chapter um so th this chapter is a great dive into Percy's growth as a, as a fighter and his intelligence. But overall, other than that moment with Clarice, uh, the whole exposing Luke to camp, it all just felt a little bit lacklustre. Um, this is kind of just both these chapters as well. It just feels like we're, it, it's the whole telling and not showing. We actually literally get Luke saying the exact poison that he used on Talia's tree. Which, why would you do that? What logical person actually says in a random bit of conversation the exact poison they've used? Like, I just, I don't understand the logic there. It just doesn't, it feels so 
odd and I just I don't like it and I think that's just the thing the interactions with Luke of what really kind of failed this chapter for me because all it does is give us a resolution we are the camp finds out that Luke poisoned the tree Chiron is reinstated they know that Luke is definitely a traitor they've got full concrete evidence and just all of these things all it's doing is this the entire conflict of this story other than Grover obviously being kidnapped and stuff but the entire conflict was the fact that the camp had been poisoned and Tyler's tree had been poisoned in the camp camp's defenses were failing and like Percy and Annabeth kind of knew that it was Luke but no one else knew and no one else believed them um and there was no way to really get any evidence and so the, the whole thing was getting the fleece and trying and figuring it out and then we suddenly have the fact that the fleece is going back and they foiled Luke's plans and the revelation of what actually happened to the tree is given to everyone so that conflict is resolved like I don't know I just I don't really know how that can be fixed it just it felt really off I think it's just because that that conflict that we got from the start was just solved in like a in a sentence and in an exposition exposition dumpy sentence I really can't get my words out today but yeah I don't know it just I'll talk about it a little bit more in the next one because th- these two chapters really kind of go together more than anything but yeah I just I was kind of disappointed as a whole in this in this chapter other than these few moments of like Percy being the stand-up guy that he is uh, but to move on to the next chapter which is chapter 18 the party ponies invade and this is the overview baiting luke into a one-on-one fight okay not the best idea percy but you know each their own which leads to of course percy getting badly injured i told you n- why <laughs> Then a boxing glove to the face saves them all as the party ponies arrive. As the party ponies escape, going at a wild speed, we learn that Miami is a nightmare and that the centaurs are basically Floridians. Is that what people from Florida are called? I think I made that up. Is that actually a thing? I'm sorry if it's not to anyone who lives in Florida. Sorry. Um, Arriving at the ponies camp, Percy and Chiron talk. The weight of two worlds is a top demigod, mortal and god. Because being a teenager wasn't hard enough, apparently. Then, at the weight of being able to return home, it is revealed that literally everyone has terrible fathers in this series. What in the flying hell? Oh my god. Okay, you guys know how much I hate using this phrase. It's a brilliant meme, but uh, best damn meme page on twitter um who is robert from into the Riotverse and consult the oracle or no consult the oracle um there are so many daddy issues in this series ah literally every character we meet has daddy issues i think there's only one there are two characters that have mummy issues and i why do I don't know why? For, oh no, three. We have to, okay. We have three characters with mummy issues, but it's mainly daddy issues, um, and it just it it 
frustrates me to no end but we'll get off of that because I don't want to say the word again <laughs> so we'll, we'll start again with characters this time and this is me going back into the Luke element from the previous chapter but kind of focusing on it a little bit more this time around so in this chapter we're seeing that something is definitely off about Luke um, him being baited and kind of knowing that he's being baited but still going through with it and fighting Percy even though he knows that by fighting Percy he won't be able to get to Clarice to get the fleece which is what they need to revive Kronos which is the main point of their entire endeavour and yet he fights Percy because reasons? I... I don't understand it and it's just, it just feels really stupid. This is a 17 or 18 year old lad facing a 13 year old. He could have just left. And I, I know they point out that like if he left it'd be him showing that he was a coward. I'm like, I'm pretty sure no monster or demigod who joined the cause to revive Kronos would give a damn considering that Luke is going to get the fleece to help revive Kronos. I just... That's the that's the most important thing here. Not facing a 13-year-old tween. I just... Well, he's not really a tween. He is actually a teenager now. Or, no. Wait, are 13-year-olds actually still tweens? Maybe... I don't know. Why has that caught my attention more than anything? Whether or not 13-year-olds are called tweens. Um, it doesn't matter, but it it's happened now yeah I just think it's just really stupid because literally they talk about it being like a pride thing and like it's the principle of the matter um which makes me laugh because it's also making me think about Robin Hood men in tights where it's literally Archu talks about the fact that they could literally just it's a tiny little trickle of water and they could just walk across it they don't need to cross the bridge and Robin just responds with well I know but it's it's the principle of the thing because he, he's fighting this guy to cross a bridge that they don't need to cross. <laughs> so it's kind of like a, it's, it's a joke. It's it's a piss take. And that's what it is here. Because in this, in the nicest way to our beloved Percy, he doesn't matter here. At least to Luke and his band of the Princess Andromeda. Lu- L- Lucy? <laughs> Where was that coming from? Percy is insignificant. He is a pain in their backsides, but Luke literally could have had anyone kill him whilst he went off to get the fleece. There was no need for him to give in to some sort of pride to fight a 13-year-old unimportant child when the whole point was to get the fleece to help save and free Kronos. It just it it just feels like a shoehorn moment of him giving into his pride, even though, as se- oh god, as seen in the first book, he's not easily baited into fights, so it just feels really out of place. It just it, and it just doesn't make any logical sense. It's probably just me, and I think these are this is the case usually. That this is just me. I I find these things to be an irritant. Maybe just because I'm specifically looking for things to talk about. Who knows? But I I have... This is my head, so... You guys have come to listen to this, so please don't be mad. 
Um, <laughs> but just everything about Luke in this chapter just feels it just feels really off. Even more so, he also just seems pure evil. And considering Annabeth is she's not standing up for him at this point, but like she doesn't hate him and she's she's trying to vie for him in that he's being brainwashed, he's being tricked and like he's not really an evil person. But in this moment it just this is the thing that ends up contradicting what Annabeth is saying. Cause he's being pure evil. Like he's he's threatened Annabeth, someone he cared about and basically helped raise and he's willing for her her head to be bashed in in the previous chapter and for her to be eaten alive by a monster in this one i just i just oh, i feel like i need oh, it's a shame it's a podcast where i can't show that gif of like that guy just turning with all the question marks around his head because that's that's me when i read these moments i'm just like no wonder people question Annabeth more often than not about her loyalty to Luke when he does stuff like this. It just... What? I just... I don't know. I think it's just... It's such a strange thing to introduce for his character to suddenly be all about pride. That his pride can take over so easily. That he can be baited by a 13-year-old into a one-on-one fight that doesn't need to happen because that's not important and for him to threaten death to the girl that he helped raise and was literally a sister to him basically I just if it doesn't feel logical I think that's the thing about these two chapters it just none of them just feel like there's any logic to them and I think it's things like this I'm kind of like I understand why Sea of Monsters isn't as liked as much as the other books because it just doesn't stand out well it's not that it doesn't stand out it's, it stands out in the way that so many characters just feel really weird particularly Luke in this case because considering the next book Titan's Curse we go back to and slight spoilers I guess we go back to Luke being this charismatic leader and strength in this leadership and having this ability to convince people to join and basically just being the the guy that we know from the first one he is charismatic he is a good leader he has good skills he's not easily baited so in this one it just feels really weird i don't like it but i'm gonna move on from that back to story and it's admittedly it's not getting any better <laughs> this chapter and okay this is the thing that i mentioned at the start about to do with percy jackson as a whole the conflict ends pretty quickly in most cases in that in this case percy was facing luke in a one-on-one battle and he is rescued in the same chapter without facing any repercussions to the one-on-one battle well obviously he's injured but like it's just fixed so quickly and it's the same case for like earlier when we had the polyphemus battle like they were gonna lose and then tyson suddenly appeared and it's like what stop ending the conflict like obviously they continue to have conflict admittedly admittedly they continue to have conflict in that scenario but 
the drama of that fight ended quickly because Tyson got involved. And in this case, the fight ended quickly because the party ponies got involved. And it's just literally, Luke and Percy face off. It's going badly for Percy. The party ponies arrive and save them. And then, I th- okay, this is the bit I think is what frustrates me the most about this. Like, I don't think I'd have too much of an issue if the party ponies arrived. And mainly, I say that, I think I'd still be annoyed about it in some form. But we just get the shoehorned in from... Oh, ironically, shoes, horses. Wait, no, that doesn't make... Oh my god, frat, stop. Um, <laughs> we get the shoehorned information that is never explored again throughout the series, as far as I'm aware of how Chiron figured out where Percy, Annabeth, etc. were. And that was by hacking into the Iris message, because he's friends with Iris, the goddess of messengers. Messengers? Messages or messengers or something, I don't know. Um, But firstly, how did he know that Percy was sending a message to Camp Half-Blood to hijack into it? Never said. Um, And also he was able to apparently hack into it to then figure out where the iris message originated from i'm like if that was the case anyone would be able to figure out where anyone was during an iris message which never happens and i'm like if that is a thing people would have been able to use that for so long to figure out where people were you would just need to send an iris message and they can come rescue you. Like, what? I oh, it just... And I think the thing is more that this information is never mentioned or seen again. And the circumstances are never mentioned or seen again. I just... I don't understand it. <laughs> uh, I think the only thing in this chapter that I like is this quote from Chiron to Percy. Talking about the power of being... A demigod but kind of also the sacrifice it often takes to be one in that demigods basically serve the mortal and godly world continue to fight monsters in that godly world and because they keep being reborn and in the mortal world it's continuing to fight against these uh how is it described basically the the way in which the world could fall to darkness and strife and stuff like that and demigods have to fight to stop that from happening as well. So they're fighting two different forms of a sense of evil, in a sense, both in the mortal and godly worlds. So they have double the responsibility, basically. I think that's just a really interesting point. Uh, it was interesting, even if it doesn't make any sense, because th- they never actually have any involvement in the human world. But, you know, it's... Well, actually, I say that further down the line there is some involvement there but yeah I don't know it just I like the quote but thinking about it now it kind of feels a bit random but anyway I that was I was trying to end on a positive for that but it didn't end well did it guys but you should know me by now (laughs) I'm not very positive oh my god okay we'll finish it up now so overall you guys can probably tell. Well, while these two chapters had interesting possibilities, I do just feel that they feel that they fell flat, just because the characters, mainly Luke, felt really out of character. 
The way in which things are resolved are through exposition, dumps and explanations. And it just, as a whole, I'm disappointed because the conflict I feel could have could have ended differently. Considering this is actually the smallest book of all of the the Percy Jackson and the Olympians, there was clearly room to expand on certain areas and have things go for a longer period of time in terms of like resolving the conflict to do with Chiron, um, having the Luke conflict because Luke is involved in like four chapters in this entire entire book, even though he's responsible for the entire drama of the book in the whole Talia's tree being poisoned. Obviously, the whole Grover thing, that side, Luke is responsible for the biggest part of the drama because the camp's dying and all the campers are in danger um, and Chiron being fired and all that sort of stuff. It just didn't feel like he was significant enough and when he is involved... Emily, his introduction at the start to his introduction now, they feel like two different people. At the start, he's cool, calm, collected... He he's a douche because he is in general a douche, and then here he's out of character. He's unhinged, and it just it doesn't make any sense why he has suddenly become that way. And it's not, as far as I'm aware, we don't ever really actually get an explanation of that, which just feels really odd. So I think that's kind of coloured my opinion of these two chapters in that. Luke-wise, considering he's meant to be our big bad, he just feels a bit disappointing in this book, from these two chapters in particular. But um, that <laughs> is it for chapter 17 and 18 of The Sea of Monsters. Uh, there won't be a question of the episode today because depending on when, whether it be today or tomorrow, that second episode will be out. The question of the episode will be in that one because it will basically be asking you guys what do you think and feel about the Sea of Monsters. But if you do want to air your opinions to do with the Sea of Monsters in general before that comes out and before the post on our social media comes out, you can go check out my Sea of Monsters almost perfect video at a healthy dose of fran on youtube i do want to give a massive thank you to everyone uh, i think i did this last week but i can't remember now no because i didn't have a video out last week huh no podcast episode out last week oh my god anyway i've hit a thousand subscribers on youtube which is absolutely fantastic so thank you to everyone who has subscribed if you haven't subscribed whether it be to my podcast here on spotify or apple podcast where you can do things like that do that to my podcast but also go subscribe to me on youtube for extra percy jackson content but along that lines i want to thank you all for joining me today for chapter 17 and 18 of the sea of monsters be sure to join me next wednesday as we continue our iodin verse journey or in this case probably soon for the next episode or tomorrow for the final one for Sea of Monsters. <laughs> um, now, to plug where you can find our podcast, we are available on Spotify, Apple Podcast, Audio Boom, Stitcher, and Deezer. Calm down, dog. I don't know if you guys could hear that. In the meantime, between episodes, you can find the Best Damn Camp on various social media at Best Damn Camp on Instagram and Twitter, and on Tumblr at thebestdamncamp.tumblr.com. If you want to email me with your own thoughts, you can email thebestdamncamp at hotmail.com, and I will read it out at the end of the show. If you want to support me making this content, check me out on Patreon at a healthy dose of Fran, and be sure, of course, 
as I've said a few times this episode, to check out my YouTube channel at Healthy Dose of Fran for more Percy Jackson content. And drop me a follow on my personal Instagram and Twitter, a Healthy Dose of Fran on Insta and at a Dose of Fran on Twitter. Again, thank you guys for tuning in. As always, I've been Fran, your very own hunter, and I will see slash speak to you guys next time. Toodles.